Welcome to Conveyancing Matters with Lorraine and Stu. Join us for a chat about all things property. Well, we appear to have lost uh, Michael's um, lovely face, but we do still have a rather beautiful and enigmatic screenshot of him uh, in the Australian bush. So, uh, so I'm all for carrying on. So, Stu, what was uh, what was the next thing you wanted to raise with Michael? Because we know I, I he's there. A lot of stuff we've been talking about today, I think, will really hit a you know a hit a nerve with um, some of the guys that are watching these videos. Insofar as it seems a uh, uh, a much you know, nicer system to operate but what's really coming across to me michael is that one of the moans i have with the conveyancing system over here is that we're forever getting involved in things that maybe fall outside our remit so for example um, we may be asked to comment on um, matters that relate to the condition of the property such as certificates relating to boilers or windows things like that um, you know we get involved in tax over here with stamp duty whereas you guys it seems it's just that sort of step away and you're sort of concentrating on the conveyancing so mate, what about surveys things like that do you guys get involved in surveys yeah we always recommend that any purchaser get a survey of the property to ensure that everything's built within the boundaries of course um surveys are quite expensive maybe a thousand dollars is the standard price these days for a survey um, and a lot of buyers will you know, not worry too much about it if they think the, the house is built within inside the fences. So mm. surveys aren't usually um, obtained by purchasers, despite us always recommending they do so. But for us, um, Michael, over here, I mean, there's, you know, a survey will, uh, a survey in our sort of parlance, if you like, is very much more around um, uh, checking the physical structure of the property to make sure the physical structure itself is sound rather than built within the title boundaries which are, are different things and actually the lenders will always insist over here on a mortgage valuation report which again just you know represents you know confirms that the property represents good security for the loan but um but um so are there any checks on the sort of actual physical condition of the actual building on the land Yes, indeed, but it's separated out from what we call a survey. We call them building and pest reports, where, oh, the, purchaser, where the purchaser prior to entering into the contract in the first place, one of the things they do pre-exchange is obtain a building and pest report where they determine the physical condition of everything that's built on the land. And that's because the contract here makes it very clear that a purchaser enters into a, a contract um, and on the basis of their inspections and investigations of the physical condition, and that's quite separate to the legal title to the structures on the land. So uh, it's wholly in the purchaser's court to do those prior to exchange of contracts. That's interesting because our local search, which um, is maintained by the local authority, Michael, um, has a lot of information that you mentioned would go in your upfront um, contract. I mean, we'd call it a contract pack, I suppose, but it's essentially the same thing. So, you know, telling us about the planning history of the property, telling us about, uh, you know, whether the roads fronting the property are adopted by the local authority and so on. But actually that that information, that sort of bled into now having, as Stu mentioned, um, certificate, you know, electrical certificates uh, that have been sort of certified as you know by as being competent and in compliance with building regulation and as Stu's mentioned window certificates to confirm if there's new windows there sort of health and safety compliant and uh, 
you know, the lawyers over here, we, the conveyances over here, Michael, we've just picked up all of that stuff about, and I'm go, I go on about it a lot. You know, I didn't become a lawyer to uh, to, to check window certificates, quite frankly. Yeah. But with that, well, and we've just kind of bent over and taken it, really. Well, we're obliged here to enter a retainer agreement, which we call a cost disclosure agreement. And that retainer agreement does two things. First, it, it specifies exactly what we're doing on the matter for the client. And you can confine your advice and representation to a very narrow area, which is buying the property and organising, arranging the finance. And that pushes outside of those parameters of that retainer anything like the sorts mm. of stuff you're talking about. And the second thing is it also specifies the costs that we charge. And so the client knows up front what those costs will be. And if the client wants to venture down other avenues, such as tax complications or implications or you know, anything to do with weird and wonderful things that might fall outside the general uh, purchase um, obligations, well, then you charge them for it and you're entitled to do so. So that's that's why, why we have up front a, a very clear disclosure regime for what we're doing for the client and how much we're going to charge them for it. I think, uh, I think that leads us into another question, um, which we can't really not ask. So surveys are expensive, Michael, but what about conveyancing fees? Um, where do they sit in Australia in, as a comparable? Well, perhaps, and also as compared to the agent's fee. Estate agent, yeah. Massive disparity over here. Oh, huge disparity here as well. Agents probably operate at least 10 times what the um, the lawyers and the conveyances charge. Um, agents operate on a, on a percentage of the sale price and yeah. we, generally, we generally operate on a fixed fee basis. Uh, licensed conveyance is generally a bit cheaper, probably about 1000 to 1500 for most bread and butter conveyances and the lawyers are probably a little bit more than that. But there's huge variations between um, various parts of, of Australia. Obviously, the, the wealthier transactions attract a, a higher legal costs. And similarly, the poor areas, the legal costs are pushed down by the economic ability of those people to, to afford that. But generally, the figures I've given you are a broad range of what bread and butter transactions would be in Australia. And I think it's about two to one now. There's two dollars to one pound. So that gives you some sort of form of comparison. Oh, that's really interesting because we have the, the upfront letter which scopes the retainer as exactly as you've just mentioned, Michael, and, and sets out the fees. The unfortunate thing here, I think, is there has just an, and for some reason, convincing solicitors, as I've said, have just laid down and accepted it because there's just been a massive, massive mission creep over here as to what a reasonable conveyancer would be expected to deal with. And of course, if we do, you know, if Stu or any of his colleagues sort of, you know, stuff something up and get it wrong um, uh, and they're sued for negligence, that they will be compared with, you know, well, what would a reasonable conveyancer have done in this circumstance? And it just seems to have become the accepted norm Michael, that we will do all of those other things and we'll check for, as I said, building, you know, electrical certificates and all of the rest of it. And, and we've just sort of allowed it to happen. And if I can promise you, if a conveyancer scoped their retainer over here and said, we are going to deal with the legal title of the transfer of money and we're not going to deal with all of those other things, they I don't think they get any work with this, do you? Definitely not. I mean, our, our retainer virtually does say that actually explains what conveyancing is and you know and, you know the remit under which our client instructs us what we are to do but of course there's this blurred line as 
to what conveyancing is and what the moving process is and, and therefore who does what, which, you know, is always very difficult when you're trying to offer good service to a client, um, being restrictive at the same time. It's always the temptation to give them a little bit more in the hope that they'll come back. But, you know, sometimes you've got to be pretty black and white with the lines. And here we just tell them, you know, the, the physical condition of what's built on the land is your responsibility. You go and get a building and best report. Here's the name of someone I know who will do it well. <laughs> Send me the report when you've got it and uh, I'll read it for you. I, th I, think, one of the, I think one of the differences um, where that makes it easier for you guys, I think, is the fact that you don't act for the lender. Um, here we are asked by the lender to check various certificates, planning, building regs, etc., uh, etc. Et so I think perhaps not acting for the lender does does you guys a big favour in that respect. That's probably right, Stu. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I think there are so many features we sort of set off uh, offline, um, Michael. That that there are just sort of the Aussie system so far sort of winning in my book we're going to do this international comparison at the end of of our discussions <laughs> with all of the lovely lawyers across the globe that we're talking to but uh, I think at the moment um uh you know the Aussie system is 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 winning but I also think there are many many aspects of your system which by and large really describes the conveyancing system over here as it was probably about 20 years ago um Very and nice. all of all of this mission creep and all of these additional responsibilities and all of the AML and the lenders and all the rest of it, that's just stuff that conveyancers haven't had the wherewithal or the foresight to push back on, Michael. And another thing, and, and perhaps one of the, maybe the last things, because I could talk to you all day, I think you're lovely. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that has become a massive feature in the market over here, which I think is a significant sort of fragmentation point really, is there are lots and lots of companies out there now and, and and good luck to them i hasten to add we call them prop tech well young people call them prop tech michael um property technology companies that see a slice of the conveyancing pie think i want to have a slice of that and they offer um you know technology technological solutions to parts of the conveyancing problem as it's perceived whether it's electronic identification whether it's um uh, you know as uh, uh, you know app, apps to you know track your transactions case management systems whatever do you have do you have much of that sort of bleeding into the market over there michael yeah they're creeping around the edges at the moment but they're getting a bit like the indemnity insurance they're not really getting a foothold in anywhere and why Although, do you think that is why do you sorry to cut across you there michael why do you think they're not getting a foothold um i think it's probably because the system is working fairly well at the moment and at the end of the day the client gets their title they get their new loan and uh often often away they go um extra extra these extra little bits and frilly bits don't really help them all that much unless they can save them time and cost in the financing process which hasn't really been um satisfactory and convincing us in that yet that's interesting. I when you I tell you what, Michael, what you need to start looking out for is when people come into the market with products that they describe as game changers. <laughs> that's, that's that's the big one. But uh, it'll be really interesting. I'd love to get you back anyway. But I'd love to get you back in about five years, assuming Stu and I are still doing this, uh, just to see whether uh, you, there's more of that going on in your market because. Um, uh, I just think it, it fragments the market. It means that if you've got 
I don't know, how many conveyancing firms have we got, Stu? Nine, is it about 9,000? 9,000, I think, is the quoted figure, isn't it? Yeah. So 9,000 firms in England and Wales that do conveyancing work. There's some very big ones that have got, you know, a percentage, clearly a percentage of the market. But you still have, Michael, over here, a huge number of smaller organisations, some of which embrace, you know, technology and are, are fantastic. But um, yeah. when you've got it's a very fragmented market and lots of people, uh, uh, you know, adopting lots of little different bits of prop tech from lots of little different companies, that, yes. that leads to fragmentation, not not... You know, yes, there is one, one area which is being um, transformed pretty quickly in this regard, and that is the process of exchanging contracts. Previously, of course, it was done with a hard copy contract that's signed by the vendor or the purchaser, and whether that's exchanged by the agents or by the sisters, it was always done by hard copy. But very quickly now, there's pressure to have the exchange being done by electronic means, where a, where a PDF version of the contract is, is signed electronically by the purchaser and the vendor, and they're exchanged electronically. And that, of course, saves time, it saves money, it saves labour, it saves everything. And that is, is quickly um, affecting that part of the transaction, the conveyancing process. Well, that's interesting, as I say, because we still largely cling on to the, to the hard copy with the... Uh with the wet ink signature. We've got a big debate going on over here, um, Michael, about um, you know, the validity of electronic signatures and signatures on contracts and signatures on deeds. That's a, that's a, that's a thing, I have to say. Well, that's a concern for us lawyers here, but the market is going ahead um, irrespective of that concern. The transactions are going ahead on that basis. Have any of them been legally challenged yet? I'm not aware of any court cases that have challenged those yet, but I'm waiting interestingly to, to hear the first one. Yeah, and just I'm just hoping that you or, or anybody you know isn't uh, isn't the firm that's left standing with uh, no chair when the meeting stopped. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> oh God, it's me. <laughs> I, I was taught of the statute of frauds very early in my legal education, <laughs> and uh, it's a very old law. It's a very good law. How funny. Well, they often are, of course. They often are. Um, now, I was going to ask you something else, Michael. What else was I going to ask you? I've got one, Michael. Just just going back to, um, we spoke about time earlier. Um, just dawned on me as we're going through the chat today. Um, but obviously, you guys are, you know, compiling everything or completing everything a lot quicker than we. Um, and you might have already said this, and maybe I've not heard quite properly, but when a client actually starts their journey to buying that property obviously you mentioned that the contracts are drawn up um, either by a conveyance or by the estate agent um how how um how much time is allocated to that process and the um you know compiling that upfront information at the onset um because it suddenly dawned on me that you know we talk about sort of an eight-week process when everything's ready and I always think there's a bit of a disparity here in, the, in, in England because we talk about things from, you know, when we're instructed. But when we're instructed, we may, nothing may happen for a good month purely because the clients, for example, haven't concluded, you know, filling in all their forms or maybe the chain's not even complete. So sometimes I think yeah. the statistical stuff that we look at is, is biased because yeah. actually we should be timing it from when we issue a draft contract pack. To completion and, and maybe we'd be closer to you guys if we did yeah just a one minor correction to that is the agents don't prepare contracts here too either the lawyers or the license okay. advances which is pretty on the side um yeah from the moment we get instructions i can get a contract out generally within a couple of days as long as i've got 
good and proper instructions. Uh, all of the things I need to obtain for the contract are online. And indeed, the most recent contract I issued only took me about 24 hours. Um, once, of course, the contract's out there, it's up to the, uh, the vendor and the agent together to market the property and sell it. And of course, if it sells quickly, the six-week period chimes in. So it's a very efficient process these days with the, the assistance of the electronic avenues that are available to us. Um, and not a lot of time is wasted if the transaction needs to go through quickly. Okay. And do you have, um, we have here sort of what we call protocol forms, which are uh, a property information form, which is just general dump on the property, you know, sort of what boundaries may have been maintained, whether there's been arguments with the neighbours, we have the fixtures and fittings form, which is what's being left in terms of furniture. Do your clients have to complete those at the onset right at the start as well? No, clients don't have to complete anything in particular. Um, the clients, it's up to you, the, the vendor, the solicitor to obtain um, good and proper instructions. It's everything you need to know to act for them in that transaction. There's no statutory forms or other mandated uh, replies that they need to give to us. Um, we just go ahead then and prepare the contract as best we can. So how does the buyer find out, for example, then, Michael, if, well, as, if, as Stu said, if they're, um, if the, you know, the seller has had a dispute with the neighbour or a dispute about a boundary or whether the seller has carried out any sort of alterations to the property. I mean, this is the sort of detail that we get bogged down in, you know, which are what utility companies. So who provides the gas and the electric and la, 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 la. And, you know, is there any Japanese knockweed in the back garden? And that's all standard stuff in our property information form, which the seller completes. But then, of course, the buyer and their solicitor will sort of pick up on and start raising inquiries on. Uh, who sure. occupies the property? You know, are there any non-owning occupiers? So I mean, all sure. of that stuff. I mean, some of it's more relevant to us as land lawyers than others, but frankly, lots of it isn't. Yeah, that, that process occurs, but it occurs after exchange and before completion um, by way of the purchase sending a list of questions, which we call requisitions, mm. to the vendor solicitor, and the vendor solicitor will then get instructions on those particular things, such as non-occupying... Non Sorry, non-owning occupiers and, you know, any unknown disputes relating to the fencing or otherwise concerning the property. It's all contained in this list of questions that are sent um, from the purchase assistant to the vendor. But what if there's an answer in there, Michael, that um, a buyer isn't happy with? So for an obvious one, I suppose, would be a boundary dispute. It'd be relatively rare, but you don't want to buy a property where the current seller and, uh, and buyer are arguing about a nine inches of boundary. Yeah, that's true, um, but it doesn't arise very often. And when it does arise, your conveyancing matter then goes a little bit loopy until you can resolve it one way or the other. So there are remedies in the contract for those sorts of things. But obviously, if something like that arises in one of the answers, that there is some dispute or ongoing litigation affecting the property or whatever it may be, uh, then your transaction then gets um, into the realms of becoming a very difficult transaction to resolve. Oh, okay. ultimately, ultimately, it's a dispute then between two contracting parties as to what they're actually conveying. Are they are they conveying clean title to the land or title with some sort of hindrance or or aberration that um, they never agreed to um, to supply? Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a risk benefit analysis, really, in the sense that it seems it that the system over there accepts that that very infrequent number of transactions is a price worth paying for the rest going much more smoothly. 
for almost all of them go much more smoothly. Yeah, we don't have very many issues arise with those sorts of things um, that cause a transaction to come off the rails. Gosh, I think we've got we've got loads. Mm. <laughs> we find yeah, all this stuff up front, and yet and yet. Um, you know, the, the, our argument is that all of this stuff comes up front so that we don't have those surprises, but the system doesn't appear to be any more smoothly and certainly not any quicker over here, Michael. So you did mention right at the beginning of the chat um, uh, different, different systems across different areas of Australia. So maybe to um, conclude our chat with you, um, is, is all so big that really different localities are just treated almost as, as different countries, if you like, in terms of conveyancing systems? Well, they are different conveyancing systems across state borders and the states operate in their own independent way and they've got their mm. own practices. Obviously, a lot of consistency, but unless you practice in those states frequently, um, no one would be comfortable in being able to act in another jurisdiction in another mm. state in Australia. So uh, I wouldn't be going to do a transaction in Victoria or Queensland, although they're nice places to visit, but um, <laughs> uh, we keep to our own state because there are differences in approach. Uh, I imagine much the same way that you have differences across various countries of the UK. And, but is, um, is the land system of land registration and PEXA national? Uh, no, the land, land system registration is state-based oh, okay. uh, and it originated by the fact that we were um, settled by you gentle folk and the colonies were set up and those individual states preceded the Commonwealth. So those systems of land um, regulation and ownership were set in place on a state-based basis uh, prior to the Commonwealth being formed. And so we have a, a state-based conveyancing system throughout the country. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. So, um, so Michael, the, come on, let's put you on the spot. The best bit, the best bit about, about your process. Um, I'm really enjoying PEXA because the amount of time I used to spend on public transport, going into the city to attend a settlement and then hopping on the train and coming back to my office was just an order. Now I say that somewhat, um, tongue-in-cheek because we obviously engaged settlement agents most commonly to do so but it was still a very time-consuming process to prepare for a settlement send everything into the city so all the parties can get together with their various settlement agents and conduct the settlement and then attend to the registration of documents and so forth afterwards so it all happens in one cruel swoop and it's a very easy system to set up prior to the settlement and it's over and it's out of your hair and you move on to the next matter very quickly. So that that is really a, a vast improvement to the conveyancing system in Australia. That's really interesting. And as I say, that 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 instantaneous registration, that's as I say, a real holy grail over here, isn't it, Stu? That's definitely, yeah, that's what we'd all like to see, I think. Well, because one yeah. of the riskiest parts of the transaction over here, Michael, is actually the post-completion work paying the stamp duty land tax and getting the registration done. There's two different deadlines for those and both wow. have quite significant consequences if you miss them really in, in essence. Well, well, they're all done as part of the conveyancing process. And indeed the duty in any land tax is paid at the settlement as part of the funds that are, mm. uh, are transferred electronically across the, um, the electronic space. Yeah, and I say, I know the land reg over here have looked very closely at that system, but uh, well, Michael, um, 
just a fascinating chat really really interesting you know so many things to to, to come out of it um and as i say it's it's a shame that uh, it's a shame that the zoom didn't quite manage to hold up across the globe but nonetheless we have had that beautifully relaxing picture of you for a while so um very very kind of you to join us so so thanks ever so much my pleasure and it would be enjoyable to spend some time in your office and see how the system works sometimes yes well you'll have to you'll have to but take <laughs> care well, thank you very thanks. much Take care, uh, Michael. Nice to meet you. Cheer Bye. Cheerio. All the best. Bye.